we have to start with our own story and the and looking at the conditioning and looking at the ideas that we have picked up along the way whether it's from family friends advertisements whether it's you know in the media I doubt there'd be a woman certainly in the western world who hasn't picked up some messaging that her body her her menstrual cycle you know her blood is is either dirty or weird or gross or just something to not talk about right like just keep it to yourself keep it quiet and it can that ultimately creates for the individual a very isolating experience and it's incredible because it's it's so it's so normal and it's it's very common it's such a very common normal experience for you know half the population and uh yeah it's fascinating that it has become such a shameful and yeah and very isolating experience for so many women that was claire baker and you're listening to real talk radio with nicole antoinette episode 149 Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. So on this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic answers, and I can't give you any miraculous 10-day, six-step life hack plans for anything. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm honestly so over the quick fix approach, and my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even why you're here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep. We go into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from just telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and always will be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. When you get over to Patreon, you'll see our current funding goal. And when we reach that goal, it means that every single person who works on this show will get paid. That includes me and my sound engineer, Adam Day, as well as every single guest who comes onto the show. Because that's my vision, for each of our guests to be paid for the time, energy, honesty, care, and emotional labor that they bring to these conversations. The budget won't be huge to start with and will hopefully continue to grow over time, but higher rates will always be paid to our guests of color as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Being able to pay all our guests has been a big dream of mine for a while now, because as you've probably heard me say before, I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, then it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio even if it's definitely not the norm in the podcast industry. So please know that when you help to fund this show, you're using your money as a vote for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women, and you're voting to pay those folks for the entertainment and education that they so expertly provide. 
When you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that these voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. As a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time, which, oh man, if you think that it gets vulnerable and honest on the podcast, just wait till you start getting my emails. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profits are donated to social justice organizations, such as Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. Over on Patreon, you'll also see that there are currently three different funding levels, an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Claire Baker. Claire is an Australian women's life coach based in London. Focusing on the intersection of life coaching and menstrual cycle awareness, Claire facilitates one-to-one coaching sessions, educational online courses, and inspiring workshops and retreats. Known for her playful honesty and ability to make periods fun, Claire teaches women how to sync their lives with their menstrual cycle. She believes that flowing with this natural rhythm is the missing key in women's well-being, and her work empowers women to embrace their cycle, claim their self-authority, and transform their creative, emotional, sexual, and spiritual self. In this episode, Claire teaches us about the four different phases of the menstrual cycle. She shares her personal story, everything from the messaging she received about her period while growing up to what happened when she went off hormonal birth control after 10 years, and so much more. We talk about period sex, internalized shame around menstruation, what self-care might look like at each phase of the cycle, and why talking about our periods needs to be way more normalized. She also answers a few listener questions and continually reminds us that all of our bodies and cycles might be different, but that that's okay, and that it's always worthwhile to get to know ourselves the best we can. I'm personally getting super into period tracking myself right now, and so I absolutely loved having this conversation with Claire. I hope that you enjoy it just as much. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at nicoleantoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I've been looking forward to this chat for a really long time. I think when did we connected a couple months ago or maybe even before the summer and the timing didn't work out and now it has. And I feel like I've been just like bursting with questions to ask you for months. So I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, me too. Perfect timing in the end. So drop me into your real life. Tell me how you spent the first hour or two of your day today. Oh gosh. So Monday morning, today's Monday as we're having this chat and um, I don't work Mondays normally. I don't like working Mondays, so I just don't work them. However, I had, um, yeah, I had Friday off as well. And sometimes I'm still really working with that part of myself that's still deeply conditioned by like the Monday to Friday, nine to five. And so I had this real like tug of war within myself today about whether I should work or not. And I just couldn't decide whether I should or not because um, I had this energy within me and I felt like I could be, you know, I could be quite productive today in work, but I 
I ended up just faffing about, if I'm honest. I woke up, I went and did some yoga, which I do most mornings just to stretch my body even for like 20 minutes. And then I started off quite well and then I got stuck on my in my inbox for a while and I thought, no, I don't want to, I don't want to work. So then I I um, made some breakfast and listened to some music and called a friend. And then I thought, oh, no, actually, maybe I will work. So then I went back and did a little bit more. And it was just the weirdest start to the day because I just couldn't commit to either working or not working. So this morning, look, it happens. You know, sometimes you wake up and you're really clear and you're on a roll and, you you know, you're seamless. Today was not one of those days. But it, it did incorporate some nice, lovely rituals. But there was also quite a bit of faffing about as well. <laughs> That's such an honest human answer. <laughs> I, I I love that because I feel like this is something that people don't talk about too. Just kind of that struggle, especially if you are self-employed of, well, it's, you know, 9am on a Monday, I should be working or, you know, something like that. I'm in a particularly busy season of work and life right now. And I had a lot of what I think of as productivity anxiety over this past weekend. Like, well, I should rest, but there's things to do, but I should rest, but I should do these things. And that hasn't come up for me in a while. And it's funny, the things you think you've made peace with that sometimes they will come back around quite strongly. Yes, yes, yes. What's something that you have lately been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Yeah, I think things like I think things like that, you know, I just think like the realities of well, self-employment for one, um, that tug of war all of the time, like you say, you make peace with the productivity like spiral. What is it? It's like, it's like a treadmill, you know, to use a really sort of cliche, it really does sort of become this, like this treadmill that you're on. And then you've, you've got to, you've got to break it, um, yourself and actually choose to rest and choose to do things that bring you joy and pleasure because they're, you know, so, so, so important. So I, I love hearing stories from people who are also self-employed because selfishly it's useful for me to hear the realities of other people's life too. I think that's something that I'm always curious to hear more about. <laughs> I'm really curious at the moment about people's relationships. I've just, well, not just earlier than, you know, this year, God, it's almost been a year, actually. I've, um, I've been in a, what still feels new, but I suppose it's not relationship with a man after having had a, a good chunk of time on my own. And after having a, you know, a, a pretty traumatic breakup for this. And I'm, I'm really curious as to, you know, the realities of relationships and long-term relationships and how do you make it work and, and, um, and the different styles and the different flavors of relationships that we can have today. And, um, I'm really interested in the behind the scenes of people's relationships. And I wish that we could all be more honest about, what it takes. I don't like the idea of relationships being hard work because I just, I just don't like that. That sentence for me doesn't feel good, but, but, but it does, you know, it takes something. (laughs) And so I'm really interested in what that is. So they're the two things at the moment, relationships and self-employment. I think that I'm really curious about like, what is, what is really happening in people's lives? Yeah, me too. I mean, I feel like the things I'm most curious about 
uh, besides everything, I'm curious about everything, always relate to sex and money, which I guess are tied into yeah. both of the things that you said. I'm just uh-huh. like, can we just have honest conversations about these things? And like you said, <laughs> you know, with the relationships, different types, how people make it work, what's hard for them and not, what are their tools? What's the best part? How did they decide on the relationship structure that they have? Yeah, I have like endless questions for everyone. <laughs> I just love that sex and money. That's exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah. I just want to know more. <laughs> Tell me, tell me your secrets, yeah. everybody. Not only really your secrets, <laughs> but just like, yeah, the truth of it. I think it's it's really, that's what it is, isn't it? It's not like I need to know anything to get further ahead in, in either of those areas. For me, I'm just, I just want to know the reality, the realness of it for other people as well, because God, they're such powerful areas to connect with other people on, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many different ways to make things work in, I think, both of those areas. And it's, I'm, it's, yeah, like you said, it's not that I'm interested in, you know, air your dirty laundry, tell me all your secrets. Of course, people are like allowed to have privacy. It's more just that I wish it was normalized to talk about those things. I mean, similarly to what we're going to be talking about today with your work with menstruation, like I just... I wish that it was a more normal topic and not this kind of, okay, we're going to talk about this like sticky thing, you know? Mm, the shame. Yeah. 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 So um, for people who aren't familiar with you, how do you describe what it is that you do? So when I'm meeting somebody for the first time and I'm describing my work, I usually say that I um, I'm a women's coach and I help women learn how to um, better understand their menstrual cycle so that they can work with their internal rhythm and work with their body rather than working against it. And it's it's really what I do. What I focus on is the intersection of life coaching because that's what I'm qualified as. I'm a qualified health and life coach and and menstrual cycle awareness. So it's really using the menstrual cycle as a framework to identify your strengths and vulnerabilities and then use that information to optimize every area of your life. I'm so excited to talk about this as a subject, to hear your personal story. I have to say right up front, just to kind of share a bit for you and for maybe folks listening where I'm coming from, I'm really new to taking this seriously or even starting to dig into it. I'm someone who has never had a regular and consistent cycle. I spent 10 years, maybe a little more on hormonal birth control and I have endometriosis. And so there's a bunch of different factors that combined since I've never had a consistent regular cycle. I always felt like this type of work wasn't for me or it was kind of too woo-woo or I couldn't connect with it um, or that there was something wrong with me because I don't have a typical 28-day cycle. I don't even know if typical is the right word, but I don't have that cycle. And anyway, so I'm really new to this type of work and learning more about my cycle and about menstruation in general. And I feel really happy and grateful to have found you and your work because I know that I can't be the only person who has felt that way. Please, you shared that. And I've been thinking a lot recently about people, um, you know, women who have irregular cycles and how this work works for them. And I believe, I believe so strongly that it's not more important I almost want to say it's more important for women who do who have an irregular cycle to to do this work because it's just going to open up so much more understanding of your body and what's going on. Um, but it, it's not true that it's more important. But certainly, equally, there's just 
Yeah, we can definitely get into that. We can definitely dive right into that. So I'm pleased to hear that that's been um, some hesitation for you and the woo-woo for sure. You know, is this just really weird woo-woo stuff? Um, I hear that a lot of the time as well. So I appreciate your honesty and I'm yeah, looking forward to getting into this. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I, I love when you share cycle updates and things on Instagram or it's day 12 or it's day 13 and therefore this, this and this. And my like initial resistance was always, well, day 12 is, I don't know what happens on day 12. It could be day 12 of 45, day 12 of 30, you know, and so mm. that was for me to sort of check my, okay, just because, you know, I don't have this, you know, perfectly predictable cycle doesn't mean there isn't so much value in doing this work. And so I'm extra excited to have this conversation because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great to hear that feedback. Um, it's one of those things, this work, and, and this may become, this may make more sense the more we chat, but so often we know when we're learning something new and we're learning how to pay attention to ourselves or even anything we're learning, you, you're given a structure and you're given a framework to begin with. And ultimately that framework or that structure is a lie because nothing is ever, you know, nothing ever you know, flows that seamlessly. Nothing's ever that true. So I could tell you today that I have, and the menstrual cycle is such a perfect example of that because even those, you know, women who do have a regular cycle or do have a 28-day cycle, there are always always exceptions. And the menstrual cycle is ultimately incredibly, can be incredibly unpredictable and it can, you know, it will always do its own thing. You know, you can't control it. And as you say on my Instagram, I share like, this is where I'm at. I'm on day 12 and this is how I'm feeling today. And you can go and follow along my, my highlights and see how I'm taking care of myself, how I'm feeling on those days. Um, and I'm always, I, there's always some hesitancy in me when I do that too, because I know that the response can be sometimes, well, I don't feel like that on that day. So does is this work not apply to me? Like, I don't feel really energetic on my day 14, Claire, but you, you're telling me that you do. So does that mean that my cycle is wrong or that there's something going on that's, uh, I need to be, you know, paying attention to and, it's like we've got to learn the archetypal cycle first and then have that structure. And then we, we break the rules, then we bend them, and then it all falls away and we come up ultimately with our own structure. And that's really what I want to encourage women to do is not to just follow along and be like, okay, well, it's day 10 today. And Claire said that on day 10 that I should feel like this. I really want to encourage women to get to know each day of, of their own cycle and to get to know these four phases even if the even if it changes cycle to cycle, you know there will be patterns, and um, and that's why if you have an irregular cycle, if you get to know each phase, which we'll talk more about, I know you can find yourself like within the rhythm of it, even if the days are slightly off, even if it's a bit longer, a bit shorter than normal, you know, you get to know it and you have this intimacy with it that can feed back to you, I guess, where you are on that cycle because you'll always be somewhere. So it's like you have that framework to begin with. Here's the 28 days. Here's how you might feel on each day. And then you learn it and then you just let it all go actually and, and come up with your own framework. Yeah, that's so brilliantly said and very comforting. And that was, I mean, again, that was why I was interested in talking to you specifically, because once I dug into your work, that was the vibe that I got of, okay, there's no right or wrong way. Like The point is to sort of investigate within yourself and get to know yourself, which I think is really powerful. And I also had to sort of reckon with how much of the way that I was feeling was internalized shame just around menstruating in general and just the things that like, oh, uh, 
if I don't have a 28 day cycle, there's something wrong with me, or I was told that my period is something that I should kind of keep hidden, right? We get those messages in lots of different ways. And so part of it was like, oh, okay, it's actually fine for me to look at this and talk about this. And there's nothing wrong with me. And so even like getting to the point of being willing to do this work, I think was looking at some of the shame stuff that we're like, unfortunately, I think really culturally programmed into. Mm, it's true. Yeah. And it's usually where I start, whether it's with a client one-on-one or whether it's in a workshop. Um, and certainly, in, you know, in the beginning of my courses and eBooks, it's like, we have to start with our own story and the, and looking at the conditioning and looking at the ideas that we have picked up along the way, whether it's from family, friends, um, advertisements, whether it's, you know, in the media, uh, I, I doubt there'd be a woman certainly in the Western world who hasn't picked up some some messaging that her body, her her menstrual cycle, you know, her blood is is either dirty or weird or gross or just something to not talk about, right? Like just keep it to yourself, keep it quiet, um, and it can that ultimately creates the individual a very isolating experience and it's incredible because it's it's so it's so normal and it's it's very common it's such a very common normal experience for you know half the population and uh yeah it's fascinating that it has become such a shameful and yeah and very isolating experience for so many women Mm-hmm. Can you share, going back in time, I guess, a little bit of um, what your origin story is? Like, what were you taught growing up? What do you remember from your first period, if anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, that's a pretty uh, normal story, I suppose. I don't actually remember my first period. I've really tried. <laughs> I, I don't remember it at all. I remember the anticipation of what it might be like. I know that it started a little bit later than most of my friends. I was about 15 by the time it started. So I remember thinking, God, I mean, where is it? It must be coming soon. But I don't remember the actual moment that I began to bleed for the first time. I know that I didn't tell my mom. Um, and that was a conscious choice. And it's, I regret to say that it was a spiteful choice. I didn't want to tell her. Um, my mum is a beautiful woman. She's amazing and she's a nurse and she's just one of those people that has absolutely no concept of personal space, you know, and that's just her, her charm and it's, it's wonderful. But when you're a, you know, 14 year old girl who's growing boobs and pubes and it's just like oh god what is this weird body that I'm growing into and I was the eldest in my family so I didn't have any older sisters or anyone to sort of tell me what was going on and my mum was just so curious about what was happening which was of course she was I mean it was her first her eldest daughter was going through puberty she was just so eager to be a part of it and she would always be asking me like questions about what was happening with my body and had it started yet and she was just so excited and it pains me to say that I purposely didn't tell her which is just yeah it's really sad and I've actually had quite a bit of grief around that come up as I've done some of my own digging because I know I didn't tell her and I didn't share that with her and it's really beautiful now because she loves this work that I'm doing. And so she's come to my, you know, she's come along to my workshops and helped out. And it's been beautiful that we've been able to connect. And I've asked her stories about her menstruation and what it was like. And she was really open with us as kids 
um, growing up in the house. So there were tampons and pads in the bathroom. She had a little tin container that they sat on above the toilet. And yeah, she was really, really open and she was naked. My parents were like the naked parents who just like waltzed around the house naked and really free and talked really openly with us about sex and bodies and boundaries. And they were just like amazing. Like you couldn't, couldn't fault their approach to it. And yet even still, I was just so, I still, I, I I had this shame within me that I didn't want to tell her. I was annoyed that my privacy was being invaded. And I, I just felt like it was something I just wanted to keep to myself and just manage myself. And whether that was, yeah, like I said, just my, I mean, I'm naturally a very private person, whether that was that just kicking in, whether it was shame I'd picked up through messaging through the media or through friends or elsewhere. I don't know. And actually I've had this conversation in workshops so often. Um, like where does it come from? Because even when you have parents who are really open and really happy to chat about bodies and sex and growing up and all of those things, even when you get real, you know, you have had this empowering experience within your family, which some people really do have. And it's really cool. Um, even still, there just seems to be this, this shame coded deep within us. And that's fascinating to me. I don't have answers for that one, but that is fascinating to me is it's just this like silent shame that resides within. So that was my, you know, my very first experience. I probably bled for a year naturally. I had a natural menstrual cycle for a year. And I remember I would, I would mark a little star on my calendar every 28 days because it was regular right away every 28 days when I expected it. I didn't really have any issues with it, no pain or anything like that. I do remember going to do a triathlon with a girlfriend and I'd only worn pads at this point and um, thinking, God, I'm going to swim. I'm going to have to wear a tampon and I hadn't worn a tampon yet. And I didn't know how to insert it. And like, again, Miss Independent, I can do it myself. I didn't want to ask anybody either. Like, you know, heaven forbid I tell somebody that I was, that I had my period. Um, so I got this tampon and I just sat it like at the very entrance to my vagina. I just didn't know that you meant to actually insert it all the way up. So it just sat there on this bike ride or I was just in like so much pain because this tampon was just right at the entrance to my vagina because again I just didn't want to ask I didn't want to tell anybody that I had my period so I just managed in mass discomfort on this god it was just like when I think back it was just moments of just like I can do this myself um and then I went on the pill you know from 16 then I went on the pill and I went on the contraceptive pill for my skin um, because I had really horrible acne and I, I wasn't, I wasn't sexually active for a number of years, but I, yeah, I went on the contraceptive pill and for 10 years I took it and I skipped my period a lot of the time. I'd only have it a few times a year and um, I never really thought about it. I didn't really talk about it. I liked not being able to have it. I loved being on the pill. I loved that I could orchestrate my cycle around summer or, you know, events. And, um, yeah, and to me it was great. And it really wasn't until I came off, decided to stop taking it when I was 20, um, 26 that, yeah, then this whole work erupted. So I guess my story, um, I was beginning to bleed and then and then my teens and early 20s is is rather uneventful and it was really once I actually came off the contraceptive pill that I was like whoa okay 
now I get, well, this is just a whole new world now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can relate to so much in your story. I also went on the contraceptive pill at around the same age for the same reason. You know, I had really terrible acne and wasn't sexually active yet. And then obviously became so and thought, well, I'm already on this. So I might as well just stay on this. And I loved being on it too. It was so easy and it was so convenient and, you know, all of those things. And I also went off it when I was 26. I was like, wait, what's happening now to my body? So will you talk a little bit about your decision to go off the pill and what happened in, you know, the months or maybe the year after that? Mm, Yes. I'd, again, my mom was always somewhat hesitant about us. Um, I would say us, meaning my sisters and I being on the pill. She, um, you know, she trusted it, but she was always sort of at me like, oh, maybe you could just have a break from it. You know, I think that she had some hesitancy around it, um, intuitively. And so, you know, sometimes I would, I'd take little breaks, and my skin would just erupt like so it was just horrible, you know. I mean, acne was such, uh, yeah, a really negative part of my, a really tough part of my adolescence and 20s, you know, early 20s. Even still, I'd be 24 and I'd have this little break because I thought maybe that would be better for my body to take a break and my skin would just explode. And I remember sitting across from a GP, I must have been about 24, and just saying, like, what can I do? I don't really want to take this anymore what happens when I want to have children I mean I I need at some point I'm going to come off this am I just going to have to deal with acne for the rest of my life and um I remember so clearly him saying to me yeah if if you want to have your acne is hormonal and if you want to I have clear skin, then then this is what you need to do. Unfortunately, I'd been on Roaccutane, I'd taken antibiotics, I'd been on so many harsh medicines for my skin and nothing had worked and the pill was the only thing that had. So I tried to take these little breaks a few times and it just didn't it didn't work because my skin was just so bad and I was just prepared to do anything to keep it clear. And then I had what I referred to as my quarter life crisis, you know, where you're, you've been backpacking and you've seen the world and you've decided that you want more from life and you start assessing everything in your life. It's like, oh, my job's all right, but it's not great. I don't love it. It's fine, but I know this isn't what I want to do. I know I want to do something more meaningful with my life. And do you know what? I'm actually a little bit sick of binge drinking every weekend. I think I'm going to rein it in on the booze and God, I haven't drawn or like painted or like created anything in so long. And I used to love journaling and like crafting things. Like uh, maybe I might spend some time on weekends going to markets and like buying some little things to doodle at home. And, you know, I just went through this process over, you know, over a a long, probably a good 12 months. I suppose it started when I was about 25. So from 25 to 26 of just, starting to make these changes and really having some honest conversations with myself. Um, I hired a life coach. I started a blog. I um, switched to, you know, organic foods and organic household products. And I learned about gut health and I, yeah, I really made some big changes to my diet and learning more about stress, you know, and the stress on my body and mindfulness and meditation and all of these things. I started practicing yoga and it was such a huge part of that year. And, um, and the more I read, particularly about gut health, the more I learned about what I could do to take care of my skin and potentially come off the contraceptive pill and for it not to just go wild on me. 
yeah, and the time just came. It was December 2012, and another really, you know, catalytic thing happened to me personally that month, and it just felt, it just felt like the time. I, I moved cities. I, you know, changed jobs. It was just like this. So many things happened. I started to train to be a health coach. Um, I started my training then. It was just within this. It was sort of this year leading up to it, and then literally within like two months from. December 2012 and January 2013, I just made some really big changes in my life. And um, and one of them was coming off the contraceptive pill. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting looking back to see when you join the dots looking back, the, those decisions I made, like to start a blog, to, to move cities, to come off the contraceptive pill, to start my health coach training, all happened. They felt separate. You know, those decisions all felt quite separate, but ultimately they were all decisions that have led to what I'm doing now. And um, it's really cool to see they all happen within this really short period of time. So I came off it. I stopped taking it and nothing happened. My skin didn't break out, which was, I think, testament to the work that I'd been doing on myself for that last year as well, really clearing a lot of stress from my life and um, and was literally cleaning up my diet and my lifestyle um, and my, getting my gut health right. And, yeah, my skin was fine, which was just incredible, but my period didn't, didn't, just didn't come back. I just didn't bleed. And so, you know, a couple of months went by and I thought, oh, yeah, that's – that's probably normal. It's fine. Okay. And then it got to about six months and I did start to freak out. I was starting to get concerned, um, that possibly I had messed up my fertility, you know, was it ever going to return? What was going on? And that panic sent me into this, you know, spiral of just this vortex more so of, of learning about the menstrual cycle, because I didn't even know, really what it was. I knew that my period hadn't come back, but I didn't know what, what that meant or, you know, what was happening or what my cycle was now off the, off the pill, you know, and people, and the more I read, um, you know, I'm learning from teachers and, you know, doctors and, and research that's saying, well, you know, actually your period on the pill isn't actually a real period. So what you're waiting for now is your body to remember how to menstruate, which it hasn't done since you were, since you were 16, because you've been on the pill for this whole time. So, you know, it might take some time to, to come back and to remember. And I learned about ovulation, which I'd heard that word. And obviously I knew I had ovaries, but I didn't really know what they really did or like what the process was. So it was just this huge, I just became obsessed really is the best word to describe it. It was just like, I wanted to read every book. I wanted to listen to every podcast. I went to workshops, events, I, you know, got in touch with um, naturopaths or um, fertility specialists. I'm like, what is going on with my body? What can I do um, to support my body? Essentially what I learned was basically I just really needed to wait and to give my body time and space and to keep my reserves, you know, my inner resources high, to keep my wellness high so that um, my hormonal system could recalibrate and, and that I could start to ovulate and menstruate again. Um, but it took a year, you know, it took an entire year from taking that last pill to my, my period actually returning. And I'm grateful that that happened now in, in hindsight, of course, because it, it meant that I went on this deep dive into this work um, but it was really stressful. It was scary. And so then when my period did return, I was just like, <gasps> over the moon. I cried. I was just 
so relieved. I was so happy, just so happy to, to one, be menstruating again and to know that, you know, my body, you know, I hadn't screwed my body up. Um, but two, I could then start to put into practice all of the things that I'd been learning about the menstrual cycle and, and eagerly, you know, anticipating getting to know, um, what my body was like having a menstrual cycle. So I can see how that year really set me up to do again, the work that I'm doing now, because I have this appreciation for it that I may not have had if my period had have just magically returned right away. Mm -hmm. So at that point, then I assume you started tracking things. Is that when you started to do that? Exactly. So what okay. I'd learned was, you know, all about, um, yeah, these phases of the cycle. And, um, and I just began to track immediately because I had this knowledge and I was so ready to put it into practice. I'm curious about the tracking thing. So I downloaded one of those tracking apps. I think what's the one I'm using? It's called Clue um, earlier this year to just start trying to do some of this. And I find that I'm good about tracking when I feel discomfort, right? Like when I don't feel great. Um, but then on other days, I either just forget or I don't know. So my question is, basically, like, what do you specifically track? Or, you know, I don't know if that looks different now from when you first started, but I'm interested in like the actual specifics of what your process is. Great question. The, when I started, when I first started doing it, and perhaps this is a good, a good way for anybody who's very new to this work. Um, the physical symptoms are often observations more so as well. Some are symptoms, but observations are usually the easiest to notice. And they were certainly the first, uh, changes that I really noticed in my body. So I noticed very quickly that my libido was very different week to week. And that there were some weeks where I was just so turned on and like, and, you know, and wet in my, in my body, like I just like cervical fluid, like, Oh my gosh, this is a whole new experience when ovulating. Um, then other weeks I was really dry and that my breast swelled and became, um, more tender at other times and that physically I had so much more energy some weeks than others and that I felt physically stronger and that literally in the gym when I would track my progress I could see weeks where I was faster I could see weeks where I was stronger and they were uh they were definitely the the, the place that I started and so that is usually yeah where I recommend people start but mentally too so the four areas that I recommend starting if you're starting to chart is looking physically so again like how much energy do you have how many hours of sleep are you getting what's the quality of your sleep like what's your hair and skin like and yeah, what's your digestion or appetite or cravings? Those those physical symptoms and observations are generally a really good place to start. And then you look at mental. So your mental body, what um, is the, you know, how, what's the quality of the thoughts that you're having? Um, what, you know, what kind of thoughts, how many, is it easy to steal your mind? Not so easy. Would you consider this to be, you know, a more positive mental health day? Um, do you feel, you know, more, more scatty and vague? Um, or do you feel more focused and productive? So, you know, looking at the, at mentally, the third is emotional. So your emotional body, how do you feel? Um, are your emotions, do you feel more happy and, you know, and, and, um, and joyful, or do you feel, uh, more sad and sensitive and tender or angry or frustrated, or do you feel, 
uh, like a stability in your, you know, in your emotions today? Is it been pretty steady all day or has there, have you felt quite up and down? Has it been, you know, more chaotic, you know, emotionally? And, and then spiritually is the fourth body that I recommend observing. And so this means something different to everybody, but the way I usually describe it is, you know, how connected do you feel to yourself today or to something greater than you? So, you know, how tuned into yourself do you feel? And, um, and that will look different and to everybody, but checking in, you know, do you feel very far away from yourself today? Do you sort of feel like you're on another planet or do you feel, you know, really, really in, really connected to what's true for you? And so they're just those four physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And it might sound like a lot to start, to start charting on a daily basis, but it can literally be one word, you know, um, more is great too, but it can literally just be like one word for each of those. Um, and just every day taking a moment to just check in. And I do, yeah, I do suggest trying to do every day. Um, what's interesting is that there will naturally be phases of your cycle where you won't do it. And you'll likely start to see a pattern in, and that's, you know, that's a great observation in and of itself. I know for me that there's between like day seven and 12 or 13, I just, I completely forget to check in. And like you say, they are, that's usually like some of my, I guess, you know, inverted commas, best days of my cycle. So that's, that's an interesting observation in and of itself. And like, when do you actually remember to chart and to, and to check in with yourself? But if you can integrate it as a natural check-in process into, into your day, you know, and start to create that habit, that's really when you do start to see these patterns emerge. Mm-hmm. Can you give me maybe a quick overview of the each of the four phases of the cycle? Definitely. So we'll start with menstruation. I like to use the seasons as a template to understand these phases because it makes sense to people. So menstruation is your winter phase. And yeah, like the season of the year, it's, um, it's a slower time. It's it's darker. It's, it's much more introspective. Um, you know, when we have our, our period, we don't, you know, although sanitary, um, products advertisements might suggest that we might like to go out rollerblading with our white jeans on, you know, generally we don't really feel like doing that. We actually, you know, feel, and again, like I said earlier, everything I say, you know, there is always, there are exceptions of course, and everybody's cycle is so different. However, you know, physically there's a lot happening when you're bleeding. And so as your uterus is, is contracting and releasing the lining from the past cycle, um, hormones are at rock bottom, you know, that's what happens when you menstruate. And so it's very natural to actually feel more tired and more introspective and, and a little slower, but that's okay. And that's okay. And what I really hope to communicate to people is that learning to actually value rest and value this time for replenishment and for connection to yourself and for doing really nice things for yourself when you're, when you're bleeding. That's a lot of what my work is about too, but really that's your, that's your winter phase. And if we were to think about it, like the moon, for example, that's like the dark, that's like the dark moon, or it's like nighttime. It's like when you're asleep, you know, we move through so many different cycles individually, you know, on a daily basis, right? We go through the 24 hour cycle. We have the circadian rhythm. So you can use the season, think of it as winter, or you could think of it as when you're asleep, 
it's it's like that. It's the natural point in the cycle for rest and replenishment and for quiet time. Um, so that's your period. That's your winter phase. And then you cross over and, and begin to wax or begin to like blossom into your spring. And I guess you could think of this as like waking up in the morning or, you know, the, the moon beginning to, to wax up to that first quarter or, you know, the, like the season of the year, spring beginning to blossom. That's what happens when we finish bleeding. It's like this expansion back out now into the world. And that was something as well that I picked up very early on was this surge in energy that I felt after my period finished. And it's natural, you know, estrogen is increasing in a very linear fashion. So as I said, hormones are at rock bottom when we're bleeding, but then as we move through menstruation and finish bleeding, estrogen is increasing. It's increasing in a, as I said, very linear fashion in the lead up to ovulation. So it's natural that we feel more energetic. Um, we feel probably quite light and slim in our bodies, which again, was something I noticed very early on. Um, there's, yeah, there's, it can be a real playfulness to this time as it's like, Oh, I'm coming out of the period cave and back out into the world. And a lot of women tell me this is when they do feel very productive. This is when they feel focused. This is when they're less prone to feeling that instability around emotions. And, um, and yeah, they can, they can get a lot done. Um, and they're, yeah, they're, there's a, there's an agency to this, to this phase of the cycle. And, um, it is about building momentum, you know, as, as hormones increasing and coming out and there is this like build up. It's like the spring of the year, you know, summer's coming, you know, you're not quite there yet, but you can feel this like real surge. And that's really what it is, is this surge up to menstruate, up to ovulation. Sorry. So you've got menstruation. If you would imagine a circle, um, you've got menstruation out on one end, right? That's one pole. And then on the other side, you have ovulation. So at menstruation, you're releasing the, the lining of your uterus. And then at ovulation, you're releasing an egg. And so that spring phase is really the transition between bleeding to then up to ovulation. So then we get to ovulation and this is the summer. So yeah, this can be, I mean, I mean, literally a very juicy time. Like I said earlier, there is, um, this is when you're ovulating and your body is, um, also releasing more cervical fluid. Now it's really priming you for conception. If that's, I mean, this would be the time if you were planning on, on, um, having a child and this is when, you know, you would be having sex because this is when you're fertile. So on the lead up to ovulation, this inner summer, this summer phase is very, yeah, it can be a very fertile time, not only for procreation, but also creatively and to be with people, you know, your body is priming you right now to connect with other people and to be much more out in the world. So in menstruation, the winter where it was much more introspective and wanting to probably be more alone and quiet, ovulation is, you know, it's like the full moon. If we think about menstruation being the dark new moon, this is the full moon. This is the summer. This is the like middle of the day. This is when we're like midday sun, we're out and about, we're, you know, really um, magnetic and yeah, it's very bountiful. And it's really about being, being, being seen in the world and 
It feels great. Hormones are are at their highest point. So estrogen has reached its peak as we ovulate. We get a nice little bump of testosterone as well. So that's why a lot of women report feeling stronger, getting more gains in the gym. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's, it's the peak. So we've moved up to the peak. That's our summer. And again, as I'm saying this, I'm saying it feels really good. It feels really nice. There are you know, women tell me all the time that actually ovulation for them is really tough and they feel tired and, um, and that it's painful and that it's actually not a pleasant experience. So again, I'm walking you through the very archetypal version of, of the menstrual cycle and everybody's cycle is going to be different cycle to cycle. And, and certainly, you know, the days I'm, I'm reluctant to speak too much to the days because, really identifying these phases within yourself is what's really important and and figuring out how they feel Mm -hmm. for you yeah so then we we shift into the fourth phase which is the premenstruum and this is the autumn and this is probably the most um the most misunderstood and certainly yeah the mismanaged phase of the cycle so for yeah, for women who experience premenstrual symptoms, this is this can be really tricky. This phase can be tough. So this is the week that transitions us between ovulation and menstruation, right? So where spring was waxing us up to ovulation, now we're moving we're moving down to menstruation. And so we've had this lovely hormonal increase, very linear, very lovely in the lead up to ovulation, and then we've had this peak, and then things change quite a bit. So progesterone, which is the hormone that uh, rises to nourish a potential pregnancy just in case you conceived at ovulation. We get this um, big boost of progesterone and it's the dominant hormone in this second um, this second half and in this final phase. And as it increases, estrogen then drops, then estrogen increases slightly and then they both decrease in the lead up to um to menstruation in those final few days. So where we had this very linear straight, you know, line all the way up to ovulation in this, in this next bit, this lead up to menstruation things, I call it like the hormonal dance between estrogen and progesterone. It's yeah, it is more of a dance. It's a little bumpier. Um, there are more changes. And so this can result in feeling like you have just gone from being this social butterfly, like, absolutely nailing it at the gym, like doing big hours of work, feeling, you know, really sexy and magnetic and awesome, like superwoman, to then not feeling like that, um, you know, wanting to sleep in or feeling more teary and emotional and um, wanting to eat more, you know, your appetite naturally increases there. You might feel more bloated in your body, just generally feel a bit more slower or frustrated and not understand why. So like, the season of the year, autumn. If you imagine, I mean, we're in autumn right now as we're recording this, the leaves are falling from the trees. We've had this bountiful summer and now the leaves are falling and winter is coming and there is this this letting go and um, and this softening and this coming inwards and you can feel the days getting darker every day and there is this slowing down and and moving inwards and it's very natural and it's very normal and it's it's fantastic it's, it's a vital part of the, of the process that we need to move through but we live in a society that doesn't uh, particularly value um, a lot of the qualities of autumn of this more introspective slower 
Um, and more discerning energy too. This is a time where you will want to implement boundaries and you'll want to say no, and you actually won't be able to be there for everybody as you may have been the week before. And that's a good thing, you know, and this is a lot of my work is teaching women to identify when their autumn is and when their premenstrual is and to give themselves more space and to say no and to set their boundaries and to really crank the self-care here because, when they, you know, when they do that, I often hear over and over again that this actually becomes their favorite week of the month. It can go from a week that's really tough because we're approaching it in the same way that we approached the week before, but with some awareness and actually by paying attention, like, oh, cool, I'm in my premenstrual now. This is when I need to take more time for myself and I need to slow down and maybe I'll write some poetry tonight and like get a bit weird and crafty or like just have a really long bath and turn my phone off and just take some time for myself and say no to that networking event and just move at a different pace and not give myself a hard time. If I don't make it to the gym at 6am, you know, just approaching it differently. There's actually a a lot of richness and a lot of um, truth and creativity that can come through at that time as well. And then that takes us all the way back down again to, to winter. So again, we're transitioning back down to menstruation and slowing down again, hormones are beginning to drop. And once they reach rock bottom, so once um, the production of progesterone halts, that's when we begin to bleed and the process starts again. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for that. That was (laughs) wonderful and very helpful. And towards the end, you started to um, touch on something that I definitely wanted to ask you about. So when you were saying, you know, setting more boundaries or leaving more time for self-care, essentially honoring the point that you're at in your cycle. So this is something that I'm really interested in. And when I told um, folks on Instagram that I was going to be talking to you and, you know, a bunch of people sent in questions, which we'll get to, a lot of them were around this idea of wanting to honor the cycle, like get to know it, live in sync with it. But um, sort of the question of what does that look like in the real world (laughs) with jobs and responsibilities Mm -hmm. and kids, like things that aren't as essentially built around your cycle, right? That it's, you know, I think a little bit easier if you work for yourself to be able to do that. And that's obviously not the case for a lot of folks. So I'm really interested essentially to hear two things from you. One, some specific examples of like what you do to live in sync with your cycle, like what works for you. And then maybe some tips or thoughts or ideas for people who maybe don't have as much flexibility, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does make sense. And it's very important um, because we don't, we don't live in a world yet that's, um, God, that reveres the menstrual cycle. I was, God, I'll just quickly tell you the story on my last, um, was it my last bleed? No, maybe it was the one before that I was with my cousin and I was sitting on a, I was sitting on a chair at the table and so I had my period sitting on a chair. I was just like, God, I need to get off this chair. I am so much pain. Like I, this is just uncomfortable for me to be sitting on a hard chair right now. And I was just, so I went and just lay down and I was thinking, you know, I felt fine. You know, I wasn't actually in any pain from my menstrual cycle, but just sitting on a chair, it's like, oh, this is not what my uterus wants right now at all. And I just thought to myself, God, for every woman who has to go to work and sit at a desk when they're bleeding, like, I just, it's so, it's so unfair, you know, because it it can be deeply uncomfortable and that can be the very, you know, the the very least of of your problems. If you're somebody who experiences period pain or you have endometriosis or, um, you know, PM, um, DD, like, 
oh, it's really tough to live in the world when you're expected to operate as you normally, as you normally would be. And I just had this moment of like, I just can't wait until the day that the world just worships the menstruating woman, you know, like, thank (laughs) you for having your period, because this means that we are all here. We are all in existence because of the menstrual cycle. Like, thank you for having a period, because if you didn't, then we wouldn't, you know, humanity would cease to exist at this real moment of like, why am I not being worshipped right now? (laughs) It's a really just good question in general. Yeah. (laughs) God, you know, so I, I totally, I totally hear, hear what you're saying. And, um, some examples for me. So how I, We'll talk specifically, I suppose, you know, to this to the faces that can be um, that can be more challenging, and as as I said, society doesn't particularly value. So, beginning with um, the autumn, with the premenstruum, I know that I can be really productive in this time. I actually really enjoy this phase normally. I do still experience some premenstrual um, symptoms like breast tenderness and bloating that I'm, you know, figuring out what my triggers are for that all the time, but you know, generally I actually, I really enjoy this phase when I give myself space. Space is like my number one word when it comes to this week. I really struggle with deadlines of, you know, other people's deadlines and being on somebody else's timeline and, and generally being self-employed, I can manage that mostly. So I make sure that I give myself, you know, more time in this week to do things, but I know that I can actually really get quite a bit done. I'm not so good with things like budgets or, um, you know, more like add mini bits. I'm better with like creative tasks. And so I'll, I'll try and schedule, you know, more creative tasks for this time with my work. I'm, I'm likely to say no to most social invites. And so because I have my cycle mapped out in my calendar in advance, if I'm invited to something that I don't need to be at a group gathering. I will probably say no in advance rather than saying yes and then getting to it and then ultimately cancelling because I just want to stay in and have a bath. I've done that so many times and and I'll just add here as a little note that this is mostly all learned through trial and error, you know, like you learn this through contrast and it's like when you find yourself on day 27 at you know, a, a, like a late night birthday party and like all you want to do is just be at home in your pajamas in bed. Like they're the moments where you're like, right, that's a boundary now on the, like the, towards the end of my cycle. I say no, I, I just say no. Or I say maybe I'll see how I feel, but I'm, I'm just reluctant to commit to social things because I know that's a very introverted time for me. I, I, I really pull back on exercises. Sorry, I should say strength training as well. I just know that naturally I feel more like practicing yoga at that time. And I really like going for long walks. So I'll make sure I find some time to walk and do yoga rather than like pushing myself to, to do the same hit workout that I was doing when I was ovulating because my body just feels very different at that time. So I really adjust, adjust my movement as well. So things like that, when it comes to self-care, I try to sweat uh, it's really it's important to try to support your liver at that time as it's processing you know the release of estrogen and the lead up to menstruation. The more that you can sweat and um, you know eat cleansing foods as much as possible. I try to avoid coffee and alcohol then because I just know that it makes my premenstrual symptoms like breast tenderness worse and my period pain worse. So 
there's lots of things, you know, around diet. I mean, that's a huge topic that I won't get into right now, but there's lots of things that are, you know, just supporting yourself hormonally um, is really important at that time too. So I adjust my, my diet and my movement then as well. But I think for me, the key thing is really space in that lead up to my bleed. Once I've begun to bleed, I block out the first three days in my calendar. So I don't see clients at that time at all. And I, I try not to, you know, I try not to work. I try not to be on my computer too much. Um, sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, my last bleed, I, I was on a deadline. So I, I you know, I, I worked through it and that was fine. But I, I made sure that then in the evenings that I was offline and that I wasn't on social media because I didn't need to be on there. And I should also say that for my autumn, I'm really mindful of social media use then because um, my critic, my inner critic loves to compare my, you know, what I'm doing and my slowing down my version of my, you know, my autumn to see everybody on Instagram who's like kicking goals and out and about being really cool and social. So I'm really mindful of, of social media consumption then because comparison can be really brutal at that time for me. So again, I, I just, I just pair back, you know, and it's, it's so often about the attitude that we can, that we can hold ourselves in. So when I'm bleeding, I really try to rest as much as possible. I'm very conscious that when I can rest more then the more energy I have in the rest of the cycle. And so that might mean that some bleeds, like the last one I had, I, you know, I had to work through it, but that in the evenings I was, it was like everything off, like technology off, off my phone, like do some really nice things for myself. You know, I have, I pre-prepared dinners um, in the week before. I made sure that the fridge was stocked with food so I didn't have to go to the shops after work. I didn't really have to do anything else. I didn't push myself to exercise. I just found rest when I could. I was just really sweet and, and gentle with myself, you know, rather than judging myself for working through it. It's like, cool, this is what you have to do this time. Let's just like have a nice face mask tonight and have a cup of tea and get get to bed earlier and just get some more sleep. And and that's my version of self-care in this, you know, in this period. So there are things that I like to do, you know, and it really is um, about getting to, like I said, getting to know how it is for you. But let's say that you have you know, you have a job that you've got to show up to every day, regardless of whether you're like really having an emotional day in your premenstrual or you're bleeding. And the last thing you feel like doing is getting on the train and going into an office and sitting at a desk all day. Um, my question to you then is well, a few things. <clears throat> what is within your, like, what is within your control? If you need to, if you need to go to work, if you have responsibilities, brilliant. But what are you doing before and afterwards? So can you let yourself sleep in a little more when you feel like you want to move a bit slower? Can you pull back on social invites if you just genuinely really don't want to? Um, how can you stock the fridge before your period or um, freeze some meals in advance so that you don't have to cook or that you don't have to leave the house if you don't really, you know, if you don't want to? Like, How can you ask for help? Can your partner or children or friends show up for you in a way that is different at that time you know how might it affect the, the change of the household as well how can your you say if you've got children how might your family and the the rhythm of your family change with the rhythm of your cycle too so maybe you know there are things that change with the way that childcare is managed or um you know responsibilities around the house maybe that begins to line up with your cycle too 
Uh, I have some friends who have young kids who who do this. And again, you know, it doesn't like, it doesn't always work and it's not about getting it right all the time or being perfect, but it's just about making these tweaks and having a different approach, you know, after work, how can you really up the self, the self love and like, what would you really love to do? You know, if you could just really vision into like, what would your perfect period be like? Would you be lying on the couch being like, fed chocolate and just watching Netflix and having like cups of rose tea on end and getting foot massages. <laughs> um, like what might be a very, like a very small little taste of that, that you could give yourself in the time that you do have and, and surrender to the fact that at the moment, this is the reality. This is, these are the responsibilities that you have and that's okay. Um, but how might you really love yourself up? Yeah, I, I love so much about what you're saying, because I think that it's really easy with anything that falls under like a taking care of yourself umbrella, which I think that this obviously does. It's easy to think of it as like a black and white, all or nothing, like binary state, right? This I and I'm definitely someone who has fallen into this like, oh, well, that's nice for you, but I can't do that because X, Y, Z reasons, right? And to be able to step back and be like, okay, maybe I can't not go to work or I can't, you know, I mean, I don't have kids, but maybe I can't not take care of my kids that day or any of the things, right, that would come up. And that's certainly not what you're suggesting. But so much of what I'm taking from what you're saying is, that first of all, the value of learning about yourself, right? And learning about this in general. So it's like information, getting to know yourself, doing the tracking, having an idea of what goes on for you, which can then hopefully start to break some of the shame or some of those internalized feelings that it's not okay to give yourself special treatment at different times, or it's not okay to ask for help. I think there's a lot of internalized stuff that a lot of us deal with around that. And then it's like, okay, well, if you don't have the shame and you're armed with the information about yourself, then it is those preparation steps, like you said, of, okay, can I freeze some meals in advance? The, the sort of analogy that came into my head when you were talking, this is a lot of similar stuff for what I have done mental health wise. Of course, you know, a depressive episode can happen randomly, but at this point I've tracked stuff enough to know there are certain situations that can lead into that or can trigger that, you know, traveling, time zone changes. That's a big one for me. So okay, I, you know, make sure that I take sleeping pills the first couple nights and get on a schedule. You know, there's things that I do to the best of my ability to hopefully like work within the things that I know work for me. And I'm hearing a lot of that in what you're saying too. It doesn't have to be these huge all or nothing things. It can just be a couple of things that make it a little bit easier. Thank you for hearing that and that because I'm really glad you fed that back to me because that that binary, like as you say, that approach, it just yeah, it doesn't have to be so black and white at all. And um, and there is no there is no set blueprint for this. You know, I can't tell you how how to approach your cycle. Um, I often joke that it would make my life so much easier if every woman was on the same cycle. We all bled at the same time, and we all were on this perfect twenty eight day cycle, and everyone's cycle was you know exactly the same. Um, and that's just not the case. And actually how brilliant, how wonderful we are also unique. And, um, of course I don't mean that, but it's the truth. You know, it's, it is really about, as you say, paying attention, understanding your body and ultimately understanding yourself, getting to know your own strengths and vulnerabilities, and then making a few tweaks to set yourself up, uh, for success in each phase and learning when you don't learning when it doesn't work and going, all right, well, I know next time for my next 
spring that I won't overwhelm myself with too much work because actually I get a bit anxious at that time. Brilliant. That's something I've learned. I'm going to jot that down. That's more self-knowledge. That's more power. Brilliant. And that's the best thing. You know, it's something that I love about this cycle work is that you get a second, you know, you get a second, third, fourth, endless chance to continue to, to, to put this into practice because it comes back around again. And then there it is again. It's like, great. Now I can build upon that. And each cycle you are, you're building upon the next. And that's, I think really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd love to circle back and dig in a little bit to this idea of shame around menstruation. The two things that I keep thinking of as we're having this conversation are, for me personally, and maybe you can speak to some of the things you've had to look at and heal, but the things that have come up for me are that uh, this idea of like asking for help or setting certain boundaries, you're doing these things around this. It's like, well, I don't want to seem weak, right? There's already like so much kind of like cultural joking around, oh, well, she must be on her period or, you know, that type of like nonsense stuff that said that like, you don't want to be seen any differently or treated any differently, or this is something I just need to like keep quiet and push through and, you know, that type of thing. So I think that is probably pretty common. And then the other thing, which you mentioned before of this idea of it being something that's dirty, I think that can also come up a lot in a sex context of, you know, I think, I mean, for my experience of having sex with men of, oh, this is something that like, I'm supposed to just not really talk about, or they get, you know, weirded out by, or uh, there's just like something in there that I think I'm, I'm just interested to see what that has been like for you to kind of work through um, whatever the shame things have been. Oh, you've just got to be so compassionate and gentle with yourself through this. Um, because the unraveling of of this shame, of any shame, you know, it takes time. As I said at the very beginning of this call, I'm still unraveling this weird, this weird stuff around the nine to five and I've been self-employed for six years. You know, it's like it, we take, it takes us time to, to change the way that we approach things, particularly when often it's been unconscious. And what many women tell me when it comes to, to shame around their period is that they've never even really noticed it. It's only when they uh, when they come to get to know my work or they're hearing people speak positively about having a period that then it, it's like this light bulb, like, Oh, I don't feel positive about it. I've never really realized that I'm carrying shame around it, but, um, I've certainly never felt like it's something to celebrate or something to talk to somebody else about. So it's sort of this like weird silent shame. And then we think, yeah, actually I do think that my blood is a bit dirty and that I do. Yeah. I, I haven't really wanted to, um, to say that I, you know, I really struggle emotionally just before my period. And, and I certainly wouldn't ask for help. You know, as I said earlier, I certainly wouldn't ask somebody how to insert a tampon. Like, God, heaven forbid, they knew I had my period. I just sat through fucking triathlon with like a tampon out of my vagina because like, God, I couldn't ask somebody for help with, with a tampon. So, you know, it's like, I think the first step is is of course awareness always, you know, to be aware of some of the things that you're carrying. Um, and then the second step is to just meet that awareness with so much self-compassion and not, and no judgment, you know, no self-judgment that just exacerbates the shame. So it's like, Oh God, sweetheart, darling, like to yourself, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've, that, that that's been your experience that you feel like that. And this is a vulnerable thing. Like, let's look at this. And so let's say you wanted to ask for help, um, in the lead up to your period, let's say you wanted to like set up, this is a really cool thing that I think would be so great, you know, with a group of women, say three or four women, maybe you could have this like, um, car, 
like kids pick up schedule where when one person's bleeding then they don't they don't pick up their kid and somebody else picks up their kid from school and, and drops them off and you each sort of take turns or you set up this like food rotation thing or you set up this sort of system and you you ask for help I think that in these moments it's um it's really important to think about you know who you trust and who are your allies and it's okay to not want to broadcast your period to the world it's okay to not want to have to you know to talk about these things um you know, with your school, you know, your child's school teacher or like, you know, your checkout attendant at the supermarket, like that's okay. But like pick the people that you do trust, the people that are important in your life. Is it your partner? You know, is that somebody that can really be an ally in this for you? Is it a couple of close friends? Who can you reach out to and and say like, I'd really, you know, I'd, I'd like to either start talking about this more positively, or maybe we could share like where we're at in our cycle. Like that might be fun. Like, on the Clue app, for example, you can share your cycle with uh, other people. So I've got a couple of my girlfriends and my sister on there so I can see where they're at and I'm like, hey, you're bleeding, you know, how are you going? Or, um, you know, when we're planning holidays, we can kind of try to match it up and see when we'll both be in, like ovulation or something like that or planning, you know, to just to just make it a really natural part of life. But, but pick the people who are going to support you in that. You know, it's okay to not want to tell the world about that. So just, yeah, go with where, go with what feels good. But to, to, as I said, make it really, approach it as a very normal and natural thing. Like, oh, hey, you're on, um, you know, you're on day 27. Like, oh God, how are you feeling? To just ask those questions. Like, well, where are you at in your cycle? When a girlfriend tells you that she wants to divorce her partner and like quit her job and move to the other side of the world, like, okay, well, what day are you on today? You know, let's talk about that. Like maybe that might have some insight for you. Um, those sorts of conversations I think can be really helpful and just making it playful and fun, but it, you know, it is okay. It really is okay to ask for help, but go where it feels good for you. You know, you don't have to push yourself beyond what feels um, comfortable and safe because the truth is, I mean, I had an ex partner who wouldn't let me keep my tampons in our um, in our bathroom because he felt that it was what? Yeah, he. I know. Like I had to keep I'm them so in sorry. my <laughs> in my bedside table next to our bed because he didn't want to see them. And I said, and I went along with that. I was like, oh yeah, that's fair enough. And you kind of knew that it was a bit immature of him, but I was like, yeah, okay. You know, fair enough. So sometimes, actually, you know, be discerning with who you. You, you choose as your support people because sometimes those that we even love the most actually, you know, aren't always the aren't always our support people. And he certainly wouldn't have been somebody to, to turn to for support. And I I mean I cringe telling that story, but that's the truth, you know, and I went along with it. And, oh yeah, fair enough, you know. And I probably shouldn't have to say, but of course clean tampons in their box that, you know, were just sitting there, he just couldn't bear to look at them. So be mindful that other people are carrying their own shame stuff as well and and can be mirrors for your own your own stuff as too. But to yeah, choose your people, be discerning and then and then use them, you know, and, and the God, there can just be so much healing that comes from like reaching out to a girlfriend um when she's bleeding and um, taking her some food around or some chocolate or like sending her some love over text or a beautiful audio note, just tell her how much you love her when she has her period. And then, and then, you know, having that favorite return to you, just being seen by somebody when you're bleeding and just being like, Hey, I just really love some love right now, you know, and to really be seen by somebody and then to be able to, to give that back when she is on her period, like, 
they are just like, those friendships that I have that we can do that. It's, it's just so beautiful. Even if it is just a text or a phone call to just be like, you're awesome. You know, like I said earlier, why aren't we worshiped? Like just worship each other, like, worship your girlfriends, worship your sisters, your daughters. Like, yeah, it's just, it's such a wonderful way for us to be able to connect. Yeah. So that's what, you know, I hope there's something in there, but I just think pick your people and then just love them hard. Like mm-hmm. I think that applies so much to to this when it comes to overcoming shame. Yeah, I also think that there's something to be said just for having conversations, right? Like no one has to have all the answers or anything, but the same way that we were talking about, oh, we're endlessly curious about sex and money, right? Or how other people do things that it's not that I'm looking for anyone to tell me the answers, capital A, because there aren't any. It's just being able to like loosen up around topics that maybe we didn't grow up thinking that it was okay to talk about. Like there's just something in that I have found over and over again, whether it's, you know, mental health or sex or money. And I guess in this case, menstrual it's just okay like maybe if I want to talk about this maybe some of my close friends also want to talk about it and to just start there like why don't we just have a conversation I think that there can be something obviously that's the point of this entire podcast like healing about just honest conversations it you know like as I said the clue out with that share my sharing your cycle thing or like you know show them that hey I've been tracking my period do you want to download this as well maybe we could track it together okay cool or like show them my Instagram be like hey this chick just talks about a period all the time and like updates her days like what do you know what day you're on like how do you feel you know and um, like you say just really integrating it into the conversation and when you are feeling you know, when you are bleeding, when you do have your period, just saying that and, and oh, I might feel uncomfortable starting to use that language, but um, just, yeah, I have my, you know, I have my period. If you have to say no to something or you're, you know, for whatever reason, like, oh yeah, no, I have my, I have my period or I'm on my period today or I'm, you know, so I'm due to start my period in a few days. I'm just making it into a natural part of the conversation because even that word itself is often something that we shy away from using and, um, but you have a whole, you know, it's a whole host of things that we say instead of period, or it's that time of the month or like, oh, like, you know, like ladies problems or ladies stuff or like Aunt Flo is visiting. I mean, there's so many funny ones as well. You know, Shark Week is one of my favorites. I love it. In the UK, they say they've got the painters in, like we just come up with all of these different ways to say that I have my period without having to just say I have my period. So even just using that word. Um, can be really powerful as well if that feels good for you. Yeah, I remember the first friend that I heard just say, oh, no, I'm bleeding. And I'm like, yeah, we never say that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And so language is is very powerful. So that can be, a, you know, a great place to start. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, in terms of menstruation and, um, and, this, and shame around sex, what's what I love, I love so much when a client I'm working with, like very like sort of sheepishly confides in me that um, actually like one of the times when I'm like the most turned on is when I have my period. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just awesome to to hear that from, to hear that from somebody, you know, verbalized and for them to really like see it and be like, I know, like, isn't that, is that weird? Like, is there something wrong with me that actually at the time where I feel quite horny is when I have, bleeding like god isn't that crazy 
Um, and it's not crazy, actually. It actually makes a lot of physiological sense as well. It makes perfect sense um, if you were to look at it from a hormonal perspective and what's going on. It it makes sense to be turned on at any point in the cycle. But certainly I hear so often from women that um, menstruation is a point where they do feel, they can feel quite sexual, quite primal and like, Maybe they don't feel like having sex with a partner. They might just want to self-pleasure and, you know, masturbation feels really, really good and, like, orgasms can feel really, really nice. Um, I know I love orgasms when I have my period. I feel like it it helps to release some of the tension or if I'm having any cramping. Like, they do feel really good and, um, and connecting sexually. I mean, I have erotic dreams on day three of my cycle without fail. Like, oh, just all the time I feel this real like sexual awakening a few days into my cycle. Um, and I love it. I really love hearing women share that with me because um, it can be. And it's okay if it's not as well. Uh, again, you know, nothing is a blanket statement here. But that's, a, you know, that in itself is, is something that has been for me personally very healing. And again, I mean, that ex that I told you about earlier, I mean, you can't, you know, he couldn't handle my tampons being in the bathroom, you know, certainly wasn't up for sex when I had my period. I'm surprised I wasn't confined to the spare room. But, <laughs> um, and, and again, like, it's okay if you don't want to have sex with somebody else, but it's also okay if you do, it's, it's really okay. Like sex on your period is really normal. It's, it's really okay. If you want to explore that, if that's something that you, that feels good for you, go for it. And if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. And there, yeah, there are some men and women who might not feel comfortable having sex with you when you have your period. And that's a conversation that you can have with your partner and, and talk about that and discuss that. So that's, that's a really big, it's a really big, interesting topic. Thinks the period undies brand recently brought out a sex blanket. Oh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, Nicole, but yeah, so they're, and I love, I have their undies and I love them. Um, basically just very quickly, they absorb your blood and um, then you wash them and then reuse them. They're a really great eco-friendly option to tampons or pads. And they've just brought out this sex blanket, which I just think is so cool. I'm not going to buy it because put a towel down, fine. But um, but I think it is so cool to see brands helping to to smash this stigma and to unravel this stigma around sexuality and, and women and, and periods and to bring out a sex blanket that you lie down on the bed before you have sex to absorb any blood that's, you know, that comes out when you're having sex. I just think it's so, it's just so cool to see, to see a product like that on the market. Uh, I think it's a real sign of the time. So yeah, it's a big topic, this one. Yeah, I, I love that. It's a testament to how much I'm enjoying talking to you that I'm not like Googling this right now as we're still talking because, yeah, it's like you said, I mean, you can throw a towel down. It's less about the product itself than it is about what that opens up conversationally. I When you were just sharing that, I don't know if you've seen um, Ali Wong, the comedian, her most recent Netflix special, but there's a point at the end where she's telling a story of you know, being sexually intimate with uh, a guy. And she was, you know, as it started to escalate, she thought, oh, I should probably tell him. And she said, you know, just so you know, I'm on my period. And that he, you know, takes this long pause and like looks at her and goes, all right, like, let's make a mess, Allie. And she talks about how it's like the most romantic thing anyone's ever said to her. And obviously it's in the context of a joke, but like, there's so much truth there that like, 
<laughs> I think about that all the time. Yeah, it's really, it's really big. It's really big. And to speak, you know, to speak personally, I don't actually like having sex with um, another person when I have my period simply because for me it is very introspective time and I just actually don't enjoy it. But like I would love to kiss and touch and be held and cuddled and like I like masturbation, as I said, feels great for me. And yeah, it's it's just getting really clear on like what feels good for you, you know, what what does feel good for you, what feels really powerful for you at that time and where are your boundaries as well because it's important to know where they lie as they lie too when it comes to um, sexuality administration. But, God, it's just, yeah, from personal experience, getting accepting and embracing, like really embracing my sexuality, particularly administration has just, has been really big for me. And I see it over and over again for women. So I love that story. Like, let's make a mess. Oh, yes. So great. <laughs> yeah. I think about it every, every time I'm bleeding, I think about it, like literally every single time. So, <laughs> oh, dreams. Um, so I think when I mentioned that I had said on Instagram, uh, that we were going to be talking and a couple people sent in, um, questions, some of which we've covered just through this conversation, but, um, is it okay if I ask you some of their questions? Of course. Um, someone said, how is it even possible that multiple menstruating folks can have their cycles <laughs> sync up together? What is that? Yeah, this is a great question. I mean, I've, I've experienced it many times, but I have, I'm one of four, four girls, four daughters. So, you know, this was definitely a phenomenon in our house, um, and in, and uni as well. I don't know actually is the answer to that. And I know that there has been some research on it, but nothing conclusive, which is basically, menstru- you know, this research on anything menstrual cycle related. It can be something, to, it could be possibly something to do with pheromones that are released, um, at that time and they're picking up on each other's hormonal cycle. That would be the, the best explanation, but there's nothing, you know, super concrete, but it definitely happens. Yeah, it's not it's not just an urban myth. <laughs> um, someone else asked, uh, are there any specific foods that you like to bring in or avoid at different times of your cycle to help with physical and emotional symptoms? Um, and this has been this has been big for me in learning to how to work with my cycle. As I said earlier, I avoid caffeine and alcohol in sort of post ovulation because it just it just neither of them work for me at that time at all. So that's something that I really am very conscious of. I, I've actually stopped drinking coffee at all throughout my, I've just stopped drinking coffee, but, uh, I would only have it when I was drinking it between days, say like for me, day nine or 10 up until about day, I don't know, probably like 19 or 20. And I just, outside of that, like when I'm bleeding or just before I'm bleeding or after I'm bleeding, like caffeine just sends me either into like an, like an anxiety spiral, or as I said earlier, it really exacerbates premenstrual symptoms or period pain. It just doesn't work for my, for my body. Um, and alcohol sits really in that same camp. I love, so I could, I could be vegetarian for most of the month, except for the week leading up to my period, particularly those last few days, I know that my body just craves meat, red meat particularly at that time. So I, I have it. So that's when I'll have like I'll have my kind of like my monthly steak just before I have my period. And you know that makes sense. You know when you when you think about um, what's happening with your body then too. And once I start to bleed, it's like all of those cravings that I might have had for whether it was for meat or for sugar or for extra carbs or like anything which I often feel just before I start my period and my appetite's so high 
they just go, you know, once I start to bleed, then it's like, I really want more cleansing foods. And I find that, you know, I'm really craving more vegetables, um, and fruits and less, yeah, less, definitely less meat and definitely less like the heavy foods. So that's how I know I, I try to do that. I'll try to pre-cook lots of vegetable dishes to have when I'm bleeding. And I know around ovulation as well. And actually want more protein and fat and sort of less of that sweet um, taste that I crave when I'm bleeding or just before I, I feel like I want more like savory, proteiny, fatty foods. So all of these things um, have come really through charting, but also doing some, you know, doing some research too into what's happening hormonally for you, because certainly if you are experiencing any hormonal imbalances or, um, you know, premenstrual symptoms or period pain, then tweaks to your diet can just make the world of difference. So I would certainly speak to um, somebody who's qualified to, to walk you through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another listener said, is there a simple way to understand and track ovulation? I'm a 37 year old woman and it's the great mystery of my life. And it all just uh, seems like guesswork. Yes. Ovulation. So yeah, I mean, when you start tracking your cycle, the first place to start is always menstruation because it's the most obvious phase, you know, when you have your period, the next phase to really get to know is ovulation. And for somebody who has an irregular cycle or, um, is, is lengthy or even shorter, then getting to know when ovulation is, is, is just invaluable because then when you know where those two poles are, like I said, you've got menstruation, that's easy. And then you, you know, if you can track ovulation, then the rest sort of falls into place and uh, it can certainly make yeah, your awareness and also the ability to sync things up with your cycle so much easier. When it comes to tracking ovulation, the, you know, the, the best way in my opinion to do it is by learning how to track your cervical fluid and getting to know. So if you look up like natural fertility planning, any natural fertility planning techniques, the fertility awareness method or FAM method as it's called, even if you're not looking to conceive, I just think the information that that method has when it comes to tracking cervical fluid and charting your basal body temperature, those two bits of information together, they that's what will really help you to track ovulation. You can also get kits from a pharmacy where you can um, test for luteinizing hormone, which is present when you ovulate. So that's another thing you could do. You basically wee on this little strip every day and it will, it will tell you when that is present and you can begin to track it. Um, but I, I really believe in the fertility awareness method and those, the combination of the temperature and the cervical fluid together, you really do need both to be able to really pinpoint down when ovulation is. Yeah, I like that you mentioned, and even if it was just as an aside, that even if you're not trying to conceive, right? And that was, I think, a lot of my misconception. And maybe this is, again, to like the cultural messaging. So much of menstruating to me was about, okay, well, making babies. And since I'm not someone who wants to have kids or plans to have kids, like I just thought, okay, well, getting to know this stuff isn't really for me because I don't really care if I'm fertile or not, or right. And so much of what you're speaking to is that it's great self-knowledge to have, regardless of if you're going to use that for. Absolutely. You know, yes. I'm going to underline that. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's see another question. Um, okay. This listener says, I love not being on birth control because I can feel the changes in my body and be more in sync with it, but managing two toddlers plus a full week of hard emotions where I'm quick to anger, sadness, overly tired is rough. Any advice for managing strong emotional swings? Oh, man, first of all, I just want to like salute any mothers, you know, who are bleeding. I think about 
I think about them often when I'm having that moment of like, why am I not being worshipped right now? I think about every mother who is menstruating and I just think you are amazing. I don't have children, so I can't, I can't speak from direct personal experience here. However, what, like, again, like what, what can, what can you control? What boundaries can you put in place? Where can you ask for help? Like what is actually available to you? Even if it might feel uncomfortable to ask for help, or even if it might mean saying no, to other people, how can you give yourself more space so that you're not getting to that time and then experiencing these really, uh, truly awful emotional ups and downs um, and then trying to manage it in the moment? Like, first of all, how can you set yourself up so that you've got, you have some more space at that time or an opportunity to rest or that you've asked for support? So I think it's putting those things into place first. And then, say you find yourself bleeding and you're just feeling really frustrated or anxious or really down and dark, you know, what, what can you do in that moment to just be very mindful and very gentle and very sweet with yourself? Do you need to lock the door for like five minutes? If you can even take five minutes and just like turn like rage against the machine on and like really go for it, like dance and jump and try to get that emotion out of your body. Or can you just call a friend and ask them for like half an hour's like support? You just go for a quick walk around the block or can you be really honest with your kids? If that's the relationship that you have and just be like, look, this is where I'm at today. I'm not feeling, you know, talk about feeling sad, talk about feeling angry, talk about your emotions. Um, and, and that, you know, this is what mom needs today. Like, this is what I need from you today. Like, is that okay? You know how sometimes you feel like this? This is how I feel today. Can I, can I get some support from you? And just be really open about it as well. But I think, God, learning how to, like learning how to feel, like really let yourself feel it. Um, that will help to move it, to move it sooner but what you can like as I said what you can do to set yourself up before you get there that's really going to help too um and I and I want to just make a note here that um yeah when it comes to our mental health systems again I can't wait until the day where the menstrual cycle is taken menstrual cycle awareness is is taken really seriously because it's very often in the premenstrual and at menstruation that women really suffer with um, anxiety and depression. And, and if you, you know, if you are somebody who does experience either of those or has mental health issues, then again, menstrual cycle awareness is just going to be such an important tool in your self-care toolkit because you can begin to identify any patterns around like where you are experiencing these things. And it makes sense. Like hormonally, it makes sense. So it's not woo-woo. It's not weird. Getting to know where your vulnerable points are is, it could be life-saving and get to know them, ask for support, set yourself up so that when you get there, you know, you can manage it. Mm-hmm. The last question, I guess I, I, I got, you know, comments on this and questions from other people too, but for me personally, it's definitely a, a selfish question as well. Um, anything you want to speak to about planning around enduring really irregular cycles, especially if, you know, like me, you do have endometriosis or, you know, I heard from someone who has PCOS and some other people. Uh, definitely. So again, you if you about? can get to know, if you can get, like get to know ovulation, um, can be really helpful, particularly those who are experiencing lengthier cycles and, uh, and definitely women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, getting to know when the point is that you actually ovulate, because if you have a lengthy cycle, you might, your body might be trying to ovulate multiple times and, um, not actually quite getting there. So if you can really get to know like when ovulation is happening, that is just going to be gold for you because then you can get a sense, you know, really of where you're at, but paying attention and getting 
getting to know how each phase feels for you, then you, you know, you're, you're holding yourself within that cycle and you can get a feel for like where you've been and what's coming up. But I really can't stress how important getting to know ovulation is going to be um, if you have a lengthy or a regular cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of surrender that needs to come in here because even if you have a cycle that's relatively regular, most women vary. You know, five to seven days isn't unheard of, and you can plan and you can set aside time and ask for help and take days off work and set up, you know, a little red tent for yourself in your living room, you know, waiting for your day one to begin so that you can crawl in and sleep for three days, uh, you know, and then your period's three days late. And it's like, God damn it, you know, I've, I've done, I'm doing this work. I'm paying attention. I'm trying to sync things up and, and it doesn't work. And that's the nature of this. That's like, we are, you, you're just constantly surrendering to this process that your body is undertaking. And, um, and there's, there, there's actually a lot of, a lot of magic in that. It's very humbling and, um, learning to be fluid and flexible within that moment of like, great, I've, I've tried to do this. It hasn't worked. I've tried to sync this up. Didn't happen what now? Like what, what's available to me now? What resources do I have now? How can I approach this differently now? Like how can I soften into this? And, and even that in itself is, is the, is the cycle really working you too? I mean, that's my experience all of the time as somebody who has a relatively regular cycle, but can vary from anywhere between like 26 and 32 days. You know, that's enough that even when I have been charting, you know, and paying attention and getting to know what ovulation is, there are always cycles where it's a little bit different and um and it's and that's for me there's a lot of there's real beauty in that actually of of, as I said the softening and surrendering to that yeah this sort of flow of awareness empowerment and surrendering kind of over and over is definitely a theme that I am taking from this so I think that's a good place to start to wrap up and the way that we end these episodes are with a series of community questions so essentially the folks in the Patreon community put forth questions that all eight guests of the season are answering the same nine questions if you are down to answer nine random questions fun yeah okay Okay. So the first question is about self-acceptance. Can you share one thing that you've had to work to accept about yourself? Uh, yeah. Do you want, do you mm. want me to elaborate on each of these or is it a sort of a one word answer? You, <laughs> you can, it doesn't, it's the questions are quick. The answers can be as in-depth as I you would like. I'm an extrovert, you know, my whole life and at uni, like teen life at uni, I did the Myers-Briggs personality test when I was um at university and I got extrovert I'm like brilliant I'm an extrovert and uh and then when I stopped drinking (laughs) drinking and getting drunk every weekend I realized that in fact I'm not an extrovert I love I love meeting people I love like creating meaningful connections and you know and I'm not I'm not socially awkward by any means however I need time alone to to recharge and replenish myself and that was that was a really big realization for me actually was that oh yeah no I'm not actually extroverted at all I'm actually very introverted and um that took a while to accept that that I'm not the loudest person in in the room and when we're sitting at a group of people you know at a dinner party and there's a group of people I'm not the one who's 
really chatty and telling lots of stories. And I'm happy to sit back and absorb and, and I'm happy to leave early now and, and go home. And I am happy now to say no when I need to. And, um, so that took a while because I, um, I felt like there was a real identity that I had wrapped up with sort of being the party girl, um, but actually take the alcohol out of the picture. And I wasn't at all. I love the honesty in that answer. Yeah. Um, So the next question, who's someone, maybe a blogger, a podcaster, someone you love on social media who has had an impact on your thinking this year or who should we be following and listening to? I'm going to go with Juliet Allen. She's a, an Australian sexologist. And I, I mean, if you talk about honesty and telling the truth about sex, then I think, you know, she is my go-to definitely. She's had a real impact on the way that, yeah, I've, I've approached my sexuality this year and I've just learned a lot from her. So her podcast and her blog and Instagram are awesome. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to check her out. Okay. That's good. Um, what's one place that you would love to visit in the next year? <laughs> two places on my list that I'd like to get to. One is, oh God, I mean, there's so many, but I'll start with these two. I've got Jamaica and Sri Lanka. Yeah. That's where I'd like to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, what's a current favorite self-care activity? How are you taking care of yourself? I've always said that I'm not very good at meditation. That's sort of been like my thing is that I really suck at meditation, but actually I've been been meditating. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I just started meditating again too. So yeah, don't don't tell. It's sort of been this like cool thing that I'm like, yeah, self-care is great, but like I don't meditate. So if you don't meditate, that's fine. Um, But actually I've been meditating and I really enjoy it. (laughs) Not every time. And that's, that's not the point, but yeah, I've been meditating probably for the last six weeks, most days. And I've got to admit, I'm going to feel great. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you're objectively pretty bad at, but that you love to do anyway? Singing. Yeah. 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 What's something that you've quit in your life that maybe felt really hard to quit at the time, but wound up definitely being the right choice for you? Oh God, there's a few things that have sprung into my mind. Um, it's not quite quitting, but I think I really resisted focusing on this, on menstruation and on the menstrual cycle with my work. I've been coaching for a few years before I I really focused on this area and um, sort of, I guess it was like quitting that like, not generic, but just like the basic like health and life coach vibe that I I was doing for a few years Um, and then moving more into like just talking about periods more. Like that felt like I was, yeah, I was quitting something. And that was really hard. It was really, really hard to do that, to shift my focus in such a big way and to like take on this menstrual cycle work. Um, But, oh, my God, I mean, yeah, it was just one of those decisions that the rewards were so fruitful so quickly and it was absolutely the right decision, but it took me a long time to get there. Mm -hmm. So the next question is about books, which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say has either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Hmm. I really... I feel like the book that, as I was describing my quarter life crisis earlier, the book that really carried me through that time, and it's a book I know that so many people refer to when they talk about, like, you know, inner transformation, but Louise Hayes' You Can Heal Your Life was truly catalytic for me. I loved that book. I, like, highlighted page, you know, dog-eared pages and um, 
God, I created artwork from the quotes in that book. Like I just lived and breathed that book. It was really, yeah, it was a really powerful book for me. I have never gone back to it though. It served its purpose in that time and I've never gone back to it, but um, love it and often recommend it. A book that I, a book that I do go back to somewhat frequently is Conversations with God by mm-hmm. Neil Donald Walsh. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a book that I read when I was really young because my parents had it and then read it again uh, yeah, a few years ago. It had a really big impact on me. And then I've read it again this summer. Um, it's one of those books I sort of want to carry with me at all times. It's It's a really special, yeah, it's a really special one. I feel like there's some really good fiction books that I want to add to the mix here. There's The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Is that the, the, the Five People? Uh, yeah, I think so. I know what book you're talking oh, about, yeah. Oh, God, I love that book so much. Like, that book, it just reminds me of the, you know, the, yeah, the real beauty in, in living and um, the relationships that we have with people. And it's one that I, I love and often recommend to people too. Yeah, I love those suggestions. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? What day of your cycle are you on and how do you feel? I love <laughs> it. So good. So, okay, so what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? I know you said, I, th- I think you told me that you have a new course coming out in January. What's your favorite way to connect with new folks? Just give a little rundown on that would be great. I mean, I love Instagram. So, I mean, that's sort of where everyone hangs out these days, isn't it? So I'll actually suggest that first. At Instagram, you can find me at um, underscore Claire Baker underscore, and you can follow along my daily cycle updates um, and say hi there. I love saying hi on Instagram. I have, I have a website too. So if you head over to thisislifeblood.com, then you can read blog posts on everything we've spoken about today. You can find my uh, shop with online courses and um, my ebook Adore Your Cycle, which is a really great place to start with this work. But yeah, I do have a new course that begins in January called Creatrix. And it's um, a, I guess it's a guide to understanding the creative power of your menstrual cycle and how to yeah, like unlock your creativity according to the different phases of your menstrual cycle and get to know your, your own creative energy. So that's starts in January. I am on Facebook, but I don't really no one really uses Facebook anymore, do they? I don't really know. I mean they might, I don't I mean but they might. People do. You're yeah. on Facebook. Um head over to Facebook.com slash this is lifeblood, but I will admit Instagram is definitely my favorite place to hang out. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. I know you mentioned um, your ebook, Adore Your Cycle. I just purchased that myself this morning. So if anyone wants to get their own copy and work through it and DM me things about period stuff as we're learning, please do that because I am going down this journey too. Um, so Claire, you're the best. Thank you so much. Oh, Nicole, it's been so much fun. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Kat. Hi, Kat. Hey, Nicole. So we're going to do a hopefully fun little round of rapid fire questions, if you're ready. I am ready. My favorite question first. What are you totally obsessed with right now? 
Sure. Um, so I'd say the number one thing that I'm obsessed with right now is figuring out how to get better at learning as an adult. Um, so I feel like I think about what I was like when I was younger um, and how kind of easily information came to me and kind of latched onto my brain um, and how much better my kind of recall of that information was. Um, and so that is something that I am, um, I'm trying to figure out kind of how to dive into that um, in a way that allows me to um, maybe not like replicate how quickly I learned when I was a kid. Cause I know, you know, it, there's been um, studies showing that it's a lot easier to learn things as a child versus as an adult. But I still feel like there are things that I can do to retrain my brain so that, um, you know, I'm getting more out of the information that I'm absorbing in the world. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I love that. Have you read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport? Uh, I'm obsessed with it, yes. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually found out about it on another one of my favorite podcasts, um, which is called On Books. And um, after I listened to that podcast episode, I was like, this is the book for me. And it, it's very much in line with how I think about my work. Um, but also, um, obviously, Cal Newport did a ton of research. Um, he spent a lot of time thinking about this. Uh, and I think his tips are amazing. And they, uh, what I love about that book is that the information in it is so actionable. And it's stuff that you can start incorporating into your life um, and your work immediately. Yeah, when I read that, uh, I mean, and for anyone who's curious, definitely read the book. It's great. But just this idea of how do I not have such a short attention span, right? How do I get back to being able to do some of the things, like you said, like the learning styles that I had when I was younger that came more naturally. So yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Um, when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a writer. Familiar content. Yes, I can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I think, so the thing uh, for me is that I heard somewhere like, think about, you know, what you were like as a child and what, you know, what were the things that you loved to do? Um, and there are sort of two things that I loved when I was younger, writing and fashion. And both of those are actually still two things that I really love as an adult. And when I think about kind of like my like dream life, it's writing books and owning a store. Mm, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. What's been a tough lesson that you've had to learn the hard way? Uh, you can't control everything. Yeah. Uh, but if you could. Yeah. yeah, I know. But actually, no. No, I know. Point, you're right. Totally. Want to, right? Yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> I mean, there's like a, the ego part of my brain really wants to. Definitely. Totally. But yes. But this is sort of for me, I feel like not just a lesson I had to learn a hard way, but a lesson I have to keep learning like every three days. <laughs> like, oh, surrender to the yeah. things again, you know? Yep. It's a lifelong process for sure. But I think that's also the most important thing that I've learned maybe in my entire life. Mm -hmm. What's something that you would love to get better at in the next year? Um, okay. So learning, obviously I've also been thinking, so I, I own a guitar. I, at various points in my life have attempted to learn to play the guitar, but I'll kind of get really into it for a few days and then quit. And I've been toying with the idea of actually hiring someone to teach me. So I, um, I play the clarinet. I started playing when I was nine. I played through college and what, what worked with that was that I stuck with it and actually, you know, put in the hours and I have the sense of, I can do the same thing with the guitar and I would actually really love to be able to play the guitar. So I think that's, that's pretty high on my list for the next year. I love it. Last question. What's one thing that you've recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that I really wish people 
were more honest with themselves mm. um, about when things are, you know, not doable in reality versus when they're actually just using external excuses to hold themselves back because they're afraid of what might happen if they, you know, uh, signed up for that class or um, tried that new skill or whatever it is. So I think it's very common. Um, and I live in New York, so I think it's probably even more common here. People are very busy. They have very busy lives. Um, a lot of people in New York work long hours. There's always a reason why you can't do something. And I definitely used to be someone who was very into phrases like I should and I can't and um, or I shouldn't. And I've tried to really work at letting go of those ideas over the past couple of years. Um, and I've seen it pay dividends in pretty much all areas of my life. And so at the same time, I definitely sense like sometimes I, I can be a little judgmental of other people when they, you know, turn down invitations or, you know, oh, I have to go to work early, so I can't go to that breakfast event with you or whatever it is. Um, I think people, you know, sometimes uh, aren't necessarily super honest with themselves about whether, um, whether the obstacle is external or internal. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I mean, something that I prioritize so much is the process of being honest with myself, essentially like giving myself permission to get to the heart of what's true without judgment and just like letting mm -hmm. what's true be true. That, like you said, if you remove sort of those catch-all phrases of I can't or I should or I shouldn't, then you're forced to be like, uh, I don't want to. That's not a priority for me. I'm afraid to do that. That sounds fun, mm -hmm. but right. And like the, the end result might wind up being the same. It's not like you have to make a change or you have to do the thing, but I think that there's something really empowering about being honest with what's actually going on, right? Like that course sounds great, but it's not something I can financially prioritize, right? Or that breakfast mm -hmm. is whatever, but this is going on at work. You know, like there's, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's something in that of like, let's just be honest about like, what's a real obstacle versus what's, you know, fear or just like, you don't want to, which is a fine reason not to do something. Definitely. I completely agree. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, for which I am super grateful. And I would love for you to share two things. Uh, first, why you decided to support the show and then what's been your favorite thing since joining? Yeah. So we talked about my obsession with learning, but another thing that I'm obsessed with lately is figuring out what it means for me to tell the truth. Mm. Uh, so I think it's very easy to slip into ideas about, well, I, at least for me, like I've worked so hard on myself over the past couple of years and now, oh, everything's perfect. You know, I'm fixed now. I never have these kind of ego pulls or whatever it is. And that's, you know, just not the truth. And I, I definitely find myself hesitating sometimes to be completely honest, whether it's with myself or with other people who are close to me about things that aren't uh, maybe going so great because I feel like, oh, well, if I, if I admit that, you know, this thing or that thing isn't amazing or, or wonderful, then it's like I'm just back where I started before I started putting all this work in, which is kind of ridiculous. But what I like about the podcast is that you bring on all of these people um, who are doing really incredible things and live their lives in a way that I think is so incredible and inspiring and um, just very real. Um, and so they're, you know, they're all successful in their own ways, but they're also very honest about when things are hard and when maybe things haven't gone exactly according to plan. And maybe, you know, when you know, they, they wanted to believe a certain thing was true that turned out not to be true. And that at the end of the day, all of that was okay. And it was learning experience. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's I, I love what you're touching on this idea that we want growth to be linear and it pretty much never is, right? Like just because you're still struggling with stuff doesn't make the work that you've done on yourself not valid, right? Or not helpful. It's just like, it's not like you get to the top rung of the ladder and it's like, okay, I'm done forever. Like that's not real. Yep, totally agree. Mm -hmm. And do you have something that's been a favorite of yours since you joined the community? So I'm obsessed with the notes of grit and grace. Um, I just, every Friday, I love reading that email from you. Um, I, I think it's great because I actually, because of your honesty, I think that's what makes it so special because it's, uh, you touch on a lot of feelings that I personally am experiencing. I suspect it's the same for a lot of other listeners and supporters. And yeah, I think that's for me, like that's one of the biggest benefits of being part of the community. Thanks. Yeah. Sometimes I wish that I could publish like the contents of my inbox, basically, yeah. that like the responses that I get to like pretty much every email, but so it's like particularly some of the Friday emails where people are like, you know, I thought I was the only one and this makes me feel better. And I'm like, there's literally 65 people in here or 150 people in here, right? Who are saying like, I thought it was just yeah. me and it's not. I want to be like, oh my God, look around. You're not alone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, it's so true. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's a reason to tell the truth, right? Is that when you tell the truth about your life, you are very likely to find a sea of other people who feel the same way and maybe didn't feel safe saying it until they heard you say it first. Yeah. And even I think like potentially an offshoot of that is telling the truth about your life, even if your what's true for you is very different from what's true for somebody else. I think there's sort of a permission slip in that, that I know mm -hmm. it always feels like such a relief for me to hear or read something like, you know what truth feels like, right? Like that feeling in your body. It's the thing that makes you like want to underline something in a book or like, you know, immediately send an article to a friend or something like there's something in that. And like, I know what yeah. that feels like. And even if what they're saying is something that I can't relate to at all. It sort of unlocks this, yeah, permission slip to be like, oh, okay, like I can also tell the truth about my life, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, um, very true. So you mentioned that you live in New York, um, but is there a social media link or something you want to share uh, in case folks want to say hi? Sure. Um, so I am at Kat O'Leary, K-A-T-O-L-E-A-R-Y on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm obsessed with Instagram. It's one of my favorite social, it's actually my favorite social platform. Let's be real. Yeah, mine too. I love Instagram. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Um, yeah. So to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 